Let's turn in our Bibles tonight to the book of Revelation. Chapter number one. Revelation chapter one. And we'll read verse 11. And then we will read verses 19 and 20. Revelation chapter one. We'll read verse 11 and then verses 19 and 20. Praise God. Revelation 1.11 saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And then skipping down to verse 19. Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Hallelujah. Now, we are going to begin tonight looking at the last of these seven churches. And so we are going to take a little bit of time to review what we've covered so far. Some of the basics in all of this. One thing, one thing struck me as I started reading this text tonight. It's not in my notes anywhere. And I know that you're standing and I'm going to let you be seated in just a moment. But I, and I want to be careful how I say this. I know it's going out over the internet. And I know that when it goes out over the internet, if you say something controversial... It has a way of being publicized. And now the last time I said that, somebody told me, you obviously wanted it publicized. And that's not the case. I'm just stating a fact. Just stating a fact. So I got a feeling if anybody hears about this, they'll want to publicize this too. But I'm just pointing out facts. Most of the cities that are listed here among these seven cities named were large cities. And yet when the Lord addressed the churches there, not once in any of these seven letters did he say to the churches which are in whatever city, to the churches in Ephesus, 
or to the churches in Thyatira or to the churches in Sardis. He, he didn't do that. Nor did he say to the angels. But it's interesting to me that in each of these cities, sometimes large cities, and we've talked about Ephesus. History says at one point their congregation may have numbered 30,000. And yet there were not a multitude of churches. There was a church in Ephesus and it had a pastor. I do believe God still sends a man to a city. Now there are many cities around us. But I believe that God sends a man to a city. And I believe that's the man God recognizes in that city. And others may come along and try to do something different, but we have a biblical example in front of us. Now, why I'm saying that, I don't even know, but it, it came to me while I was reading my text, so maybe somebody listening online needs to hear that tonight. Maybe they need something else to criticize me about. I don't know. You won't be the first, and I can promise you won't be the last. But anyhow, be that as it may, tonight we're starting on the very last of these seven churches and I, I told Brother Goff, I said, you might as well just call it part one because I know I'm not going to finish tonight. There's no question about it. I've got 12 pages of notes. We're not going to get through those 12 pages in one night. I'm not even going to try. And so we might as well go ahead and call it part one just so we all are on the same page. But tonight we're going to start dealing with the church that was in the city of Laodicea. The church of Laodicea. Would you put your Bibles down? Would you lift your hands, lift your voices? And I'm asking you to pray tonight. I really need the touch of God tonight. I need his touch. I need his strength tonight. And I believe that God wants to speak to this church. I believe God wants to speak to this church. I believe God wants to speak to this church. And I want us to have ears to hear what he says. So let's talk to him together right now, Jesus. Jesus, I can't do this unless you use me. It's not by my might. It's not by my power, God, but it's by your spirit. I pray, grant anointing and unction not only to me, but to the hearers. God, that they might hear, that they might receive, that they might respond, that they might obey. Let the will of the Holy Ghost be done tonight, I pray. We thank you now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, let's worship him, everyone, before we're seated. Let's worship him. 
Let's worship him. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. As I said, I'm going to do a little bit more in-depth review tonight than what I've done in many, many weeks. But I do feel like it is needful because we are into the last of these seven churches. And so bear with me tonight as I take a little bit of time to remind you, or for those who may not have been apart from the very beginning, to inform you of a little bit of the groundwork that we established before we ever started looking at any of these seven letters. First of all, I pointed out that these were seven literal churches. Though there are those who want to try to spiritualize this and turn this into seven church ages, I don't see it that way. And the fact is that even history bears out that each of these churches did at this time exist. They were present. There was a church in Ephesus. There was a church in Pergamos. There was a church in Thyatira. All right? These were seven literal churches. And that's why you need to pay attention to what the Lord says. As I like to remind you, words mean things. And the Lord said to John, I want you to write what you have seen. You're going to be writing about things that have already occurred. But I also want you to write about the things which are things that are taking place at this moment, and you're going to write about the things that shall be hereafter. And in this book of Revelation, all three things unfold before us. Sometimes even within the same chapter. I don't have time to get into that, but it's... um, Not everything, not everything that is written, especially in these first three chapters, can be spiritualized. Now, there are certain things, certain ways in which the Lord addresses things in these letters that that are symbolic, such as, as I mentioned, he talks about the seven candlesticks that he saw. And the Lord said these candlesticks represent the church because the church is to be the light of the world. While Jesus walked on this earth, he was the light of the world. But when he ascended, he handed that responsibility to us. That's why we can't look like the world, act like the world, dress like the world, talk like the world, Think like the world. There's got to be a clear distinction because we have to be a light to a very dark world. Now he also talked about the angel of the church and he spoke of the stars that were in his hand. 
And he said, these stars are the angels of the seven churches. And as I've pointed out, that word angel simply means messenger, the messenger of the church, which is, of course, the pastor. And he was in the right hand of the Lord Jesus, which is significant to us as one God apostolics. We understand what the right hand means. We understand what the right hand means. The right hand is not a geographic location. The right hand is a symbol of God's power, God's authority. And he said that these angels, these messengers, are in my right hand. In other words, I convey to them my authority, my power. All right? So, so this is part of what we're dealing with in all of this. Now, John was given these letters. He was given this task to record these letters while he was on the Isle of Patmos. It was a place that was used as a prison island. And uh, according to one author, was not just any prison island. This was the Alcatraz of their day. This was the place that was reserved for the worst of the worst. And yet that's where they put John, who was guilty only of preaching the gospel and serving Jesus Christ. But he was put with the worst of society. And yet in the midst of this terrible situation, the Bible gives us this beautiful, beautiful, picture that John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, I don't know about the day after the Lord's day or two days after the Lord's day. I don't know what else John was having to deal with and what he was having to face. I don't know what kind of garbage he had to listen to and what kind of trash talk he had to put up with. But I do know this, when the Lord's day rolled around, John said, I'm forgetting everything else, and I'm gonna make my way into the presence of God. We gotta learn how to do that, saints. We've gotta learn how to do that, even on a Tuesday night. When we've been out there dealing with this filthy world and all of their trash talk and their dirty language and their improper uh, jokes and their mocking tongues, somehow we got to get it in our mind that if I can just get to the house of the Lord and get in the spirit... At least for a little while, I can get away from all of that. I can promise you while God's dictating these letters to John, he's not worried about that guy that's been making fun of him. While he's got God's attention, he doesn't care who else is focused on him. And church, that's what the house of God's got to become to us. It's got to be our sanctuary, our place of escape, 
Oh, I can't wait to get to God's house. I'm telling you, it's got to be more than a psalm. It's got to be more than a song. It's got to be the desire of our heart. I was glad. I was glad. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to church. I'm so happy to be in church tonight. I'm so glad I can lay my burdens down in church tonight. I might have to pick them back up when I walk out the doors after service, but at least for a little while, I can feel some freedom. I can have some safety. I can enjoy the presence of God. And interestingly, it was while he was in the spirit on the Lord's day that John was given a message for each of these churches. Now I want to tell you something. If you want a message from God, if you want to hear from God, what you need to do is make your way to God's house on the Lord's day. Because God's going to give your messenger your message. Yeah, God spoke to John, but God said, John, here's who I want you to write to. You write to the angel of the church. He's the one that's going to get the message that's coming from God. Church, I, I want to say this. I want to say this, and I want to say it carefully. And if we've got folks listening in and see how, how much more controversial I get, just hang on. Ain't there? This is not proper grammar. But I'm going to say it this way anyhow. There ain't no telling what's going to come out of my mouth before this night's over. Well, praise God. If I can't say it at 62, I'm never going to be able to say it. So I'm going to say it tonight. I'm going to say it tonight. If you're needing a word from God, don't go to Holy Ghost Radio to find it. If you're needing a word from God, don't get on YouTube to find it. If you're needing a word from God, don't go to Facebook to find it. If you're needing a word from God, you can count on God to speak to the messenger in your life. Now, he may not always tell you what you're hoping to hear. I can promise you before we even get into the letter written to the Laodiceans, they didn't like what they heard. But it was still from God. And can I tell you that the end result was not to condemn them. It was an appeal to them to help them get things straightened out. God didn't want to cut them off. He wanted to restore them. So if you want a word from God, this is the place to get it. This is the place to find it. Well, praise God. I'll, I'll add one more to that. Don't go off to some conference expecting God to give you a message at that conference. This is the place where your mail gets delivered. You 
you know, you know, if you, if you're going to write me a letter, I'm not going to drive down to the Nelson's house and say, have you guys got any mail for me today? Hello? I'm not driving over to KCK and knock on Brother Goff's door and say, hey, did you happen to get any mail in my name? See, I got this little cluster box out in front of my house, and the U.S. Post Office knows this is where the Riggins live. And if there's mail coming to me, they're going to deliver it to my address. And I want to tell you, when God put you in this church, he marked down the address. And if he's got a message for you, he knows the postman to bring it to you. Oh, I feel like I'm already, I'm already in the Holy Ghost here tonight. God has already appointed a man for your route. God's already got a man that's driving the truck that's got your mail on it. You don't need to go somewhere else to try to find it. You don't need to look to somebody else to try to hear from God. If you'll be faithful to this place, God will deliver your mail right here. Somebody said one time, you know, used to the pastor just knew and he just really ministered to me, but it seemed like I don't hear from God like that anymore. I guess the pastor's not hearing from God. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe you've been checking your mail at the wrong places. Maybe, maybe, maybe if you'd come back home, plant yourself, you might just start getting some mail addressed to you again. Well, that's free of charge. Hallelujah. So, so the Lord said to John, he said, I want you to write to these seven churches. We, we've dealt with why there would be seven of them. There were many, many other churches. Asia was filled with churches. We talked about it last week. All of Asia heard the gospel. These were not the only seven churches in Asia at the time. But God chose these seven. And I believe he chose them for a reason. And I believe he chose seven for a reason. Because seven is the number of God's perfection and God's completion. And I believe that when you examine all seven of these, what you're going to find, you're going to find the things that God hates. You're going to find the things God's not happy about. You're going to find the things God wants people to repent of. You're going to find the things that please God. You're going to find the things that God commends. You're going to find the things that God will reward. And I'm telling you, if you'll put all seven of these together, I believe what you find is the picture of the perfect church. Now, listen, even as great as the promises were to Philadelphia, and we talked about all that over the last several weeks, Please understand, if, if Philadelphia was the consummate perfect church in and of itself, he would have only had to have sent one letter. But as good as Philadelphia was, it was still made up of people. And as long as people are there, you're not going to have a perfect 
quote-unquote church. It doesn't have a few flaws. You're not going to find a church. I've, I've, had people, I've had people say, well, there's just too much drama in the church. Well, let me tell you something. There's a whole lot of drama outside the church too. And I can promise you when you go down the road, that church has got some drama in it too. And in fact, many times the people who said that were the very ones causing most of the drama. And so they're just taking it with them. Well, praise God. But I do believe that if we will look, and that's why I've spent all of these weeks, I don't even know how many weeks now we've spent looking at the previous six churches. I don't know how many weeks we've spent. But I believe it's worth our time to do what we've done because in taking these things, we see what God is looking for and what he does not want to be present within his church. And it should be our goal, not just to come to church and listen to the pastor talk about these seven churches, but we need to be applying the principles that are being shared and make them a part of our life. Now, when we look at these letters, there's some things that you need to remember. Each of them, each of them contain either a commendation or a condemnation. Did you get that? Either a commendation, something God commends, or a condemnation, something God condemns. Either something he praises or something he reprimands. And in most of the letters, there's both. Most of the churches were not all bad. And most of them were not all good. And so there were some things that the Lord said, I like this about you, but I don't like this. And then to another church, I, I don't like this, but I do like this. And then, and then, and then with one of the churches, he didn't say that there was anything bad, but he did tell them, you're going to be saved through being crushed and broken and then to Philadelphia, he says nothing bad at all. He just gives them great promises. And then we've got one letter where there's not one good thing said about the church as it is. Each of these letters contains either a promise or a threat. And when I use the word threat here, please understand I'm not talking about some empty when God makes a threat, it's a conditional threat. He is threatening to do something if something else is not done. Or if something is not corrected. It's never an empty threat from God. When he makes a threat, it's a very real threat. But, but these letters contain either a promise or a threat, and many of them contain both. Of the seven letters, five of them were commanded to repent. And then in these letters, the Lord generally would make some reference that would be directly connected to the name of that city. And 
In each of these letters, the Lord would generally open the letter, identifying himself as the author of the letter. But each time he identified himself, he did so in a different way, depending on the church to which he was writing. But the way he would identify himself would be significant for the content that would follow. All right? And then every one of these seven letters end with the very same plea. Let him that hath an ear hear. And that's the way the Lord closed every one of these letters. All right? Now, I will only point out to you this one more thing by way of review, and that is that the Lord told John that these letters were to be read in each of the churches. So in other words, the letter to the church in Ephesus was not just to be read to Ephesus, but all seven letters were to be read to Ephesus. When these letters were given to Pergamos, all seven letters were to be read to Pergamos. All seven letters were to be read to Thyatira, to Sardis, to each of these churches. They were to listen to all seven, which again confirms to me that this is an overall picture that God is painting. And each letter is just one part of the picture. It also confirms to me why we need to understand each of these seven letters. It needs to be read in this church as well. And understood and obeyed. All right, having said all that, let's talk now about Laodicea. Laodicea, let me give you some history, some background. And I know some folks just want me to get into the scriptures, but so many times this, this history, this background helps you to understand the scriptures before we ever get to them. So bear with me for a few moments, all right? Laodicea was very well known in the ancient world. It was a well-known city. Now, we today only know of it, for the most part, we only know of it because of its references in the New Testament. In fact, some of you may not even know that it's referred to in places besides in this letter in the book of Revelation. In fact, we're going to look at a couple of those references later tonight, the Lord willing. But it was a very well-known city. And one of the reasons it was so well-known is because it was an extremely wealthy city. Now, listen to me, church. When I started talking to you about Philadelphia, I drew the parallels between the city of Philadelphia and the city of Olathe. I showed you how Philadelphia was a crossroad how it was kind of the center of that continent. It was the place where many folks would pass through. It was situated on the fertile plains, or just 
outside the fertile plains. It was well known for its farming community. I showed you the many parallels, but let me tell you something. Olathe happens to be the county seat for Johnson County, Kansas. The last time I looked, and I wish, because I didn't intend to bring this in tonight, I wish I would have taken the time to look. Don't do it while I'm preaching. Stay off Google while I'm preaching. Duck, duck, go, or whatever you use. Uh, look it up on your own time, praise God. But the last time I looked, Johnson County, Kansas, was one of the top 25 richest counties in America. One of the top 25 richest counties. And I want to tell you tonight that the problems that befell Laodicea, the potential resides in Johnson County, Kansas. And if we're not careful, we can let that spirit bleed off onto us. Now, it's not one of the richest because of Olathe. It's more like Leewood and, you know, some of those areas outside of these city limits. But I'm just telling you, we can be affected by that spirit. We can be affected by that spirit. Now, Laodicea, as I said, was a very wealthy, wealthy, city. And in fact, in somewhere around AD 60, somewhere around AD 60, just, just about 30 years after Christ died, there was a powerful earthquake that hit and it destroyed Laodicea. Rome, who governed the world at that time, offered help to rebuild Laodicea. And Laodicea snubbed their nose at Rome and said, we don't need your help. We're financially strong enough to rebuild our own city. Thank you very much. That's how wealthy they were. Even after an earthquake and losing their possessions they had enough reserve to rebuild. They had earned this wealth in a couple of ways. They were very active in the textile industry. They were famous for their production of a very fine, very exquisite, very expensive black wool. They made their robes from this exquisite, expensive, lavish black wool. They also made their wealth 
because they were a center for the banking industry and many other city states invested in Laodicea put their money in Laodicea let Laodicea hold their wealth for them and invest it for them and Laodicea became very wealthy they also were known for a highly ranked medical school that had created a highly sought after spice that was used for the treatment of the ear and they created a very well-known salve that helped the vision when applied to the eyes. And so between their textiles, their finances, and their medicines, they became very wealthy. Now, all of this in spite of the fact that their great weakness was they really didn't have a great source of water. They lacked a stable water supply of their own. They had to go six miles to find a stream of water, a reservoir, a pool, something large enough to provide water to them. Now, you know, you've got to understand we're talking about, we're talking about the first century, the time of Christ and immediately thereafter. They didn't have all the fancy equipment we've got today and all the technology we've got today. But they built an aqueduct. They laid out a system of stone pipes that would carry water to them from the sources that could provide it. This just is another indication of how wealthy they were. A pipe system that ran for six miles and provided enough filtration and water pressure to supply the city. In fact, from 1961 to 1963, archaeology archaeologists were able to dig in and and find this very intricate intricate aqueduct system. They they uncovered it, found it there underground. This was in 19, somewhere around 1962. Still there. Now, Laodicea, as far as its location, was situated between the city of Hierapolis 
which you probably have not heard of, and the city of Colossae, which you should have heard of. Because Colossae is where the church of the Colossians was. When Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians, he was writing to the church at Colossae. So these are the two neighboring cities, all right? Everybody with me? Hopefully I had not bored you yet. Not already. But the two neighboring cities to Laodicea were Hierapolis and Colossae. Laodicea had no water source of its own. Hierapolis was very well known for its hot springs where people would come for therapy, for healing, for bathing. They'd go to Hierapolis and experience the hot, boiling springs of Hierapolis. But on the other side was Colossae. And Colossae was known for its sparkling, clear, and cold water. Does anybody get the picture? You've got one side of Laodicea that's got the boiling hot water. And you've got the other side that's got the cold, refreshing water. And Laodicea had no water source of its own. It ran aqueducts. And there are theologians who believe those aqueducts would flow through Hierapolis and Colossae and merge to come into Laodicea. And the hot water would be cooled by the cold water. And what resulted was a tepid, lukewarm mixture that flowed into the city of Laodicea. Kind of puts a little different light on some things, doesn't it? See, the Lord's not just pulling things out of thin air. When he's writing these letters, it meant something to them. And it meant something to the other churches that received letters because they knew all this. But we read it and we don't know until some preacher tells us. Now, as far as the church of Laodicea, we don't know who started this church. Unlike Ephesus, Ephesus we know Paul started it. I think there's a very good possibility that Laodicea was started by Paul. He made missionary trips into Asia. I, I personally think that there's a good, strong possibility that he may have founded this church. Although many other theologians discount that idea and do not believe that Paul was the founder of the church. And they point to certain scriptures to back their case. So for that reason, I'm just going to read this passage. Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. We are into the scripture now, by the way. So those of you who are bored by history, come join us on the rest of the journey. For which I only have 15 minutes. 
before we have to make our final destination tonight. So we're not going to get very far, are we? Uh, but let's, let's see if we can at least get through this part of it. All right? Let's at least get the history behind us, and then we'll, we'll start, Lord willing, next week looking at the letter itself. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Now, Paul's writing to the church at Colossae. Remember, a neighbor to Laodicea. All right? Whereof ye heard before you in the heard word before of in the, the word truth of the, the gospel, truth of the gospel, which is come unto you uh-huh. as it is in all the world. In all the world. Now remember, all of Asia had heard the gospel because of Paul's time in Ephesus. All right, so he said, you've heard about this. It came to you just like it has to the rest of the world. And bringeth forth bringeth fruit. Bringeth forth fruit. As it doth also as it does in, you, in you. Since the day ye heard of it. And knew of the grace and knew and truth, of the grace, grace of, God in of God in truth. As ye learned of Epaphras. As ye also learned of Epaphras. Our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. Uh-huh. Who has also declared unto us your love in the spirit. Now, now, now we kind of went over this verse 7 kind of quickly. But this is where people take it. That... Epaphras was the one who founded the church in Colossae and therefore probably founded the neighboring church in, Thessal- uh, in, in Laodicea. Now, I didn't get that out of verse 7. Put verse 7 back up if you would, sister, um, if that's not too much trouble. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. Now, they want to say that this verse says that they learned all of this from Epaphras. I don't see that they learned it all from Epaphras. It said they also learned. It sounds to me like he was not the only one that had taught. And then the fact that he was to them or for them a faithful minister, well, look, every church Paul started, he would put somebody else there as the faithful minister after he got it up and going, and he would move on and start another one. So saying Epaphras was a faithful minister to them at that moment does not mean Epaphras started the church. doesn't mean he doesn't. I don't know is the point. And it's really kind of irrelevant as to who started it. But just to give you a little background, because I want you to understand a little bit about the church, what's going on in Laodicea. Now, whether Epaphras started it or Paul started it or somebody else started it, I don't know. I do know Epaphras had a real burden for that church, as he did for the neighboring cities. Listen to Colossians 4, verses 12 through 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. And so you see, right here, these three cities are all mentioned in one verse. And Paul is writing to Colossae, and he says, I want you to know I bear record of the fact that that Epaphras has a great zeal for you. And he has a great zeal for Laodicea. And he has a great zeal for Hierapolis. 
and he has labored fervently in prayer, Paul said. So I, I don't know. I don't know. We do know Epaphras did have a real burden. He prayed unceasingly, prayed fervently for all three of these cities. And, and so maybe, maybe this man. But it does sound like in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you. He's writing to the Colossians. This sounds to me like Epaphras was a Colossian. And so I think it's possible that Paul may have converted Epaphras and then trained him. And this would explain even more why he would have a burden for Colossae and the neighboring cities. So anyhow, just, just information to kind of help you here. One more thing we do know. One more thing we do know about Paul and the connection to Laodicea. This is just a few verses later after what's on the screen here. Let's go to Colossians chapter 4, verse 16. Listen to this, Colossians 4, verse 16. And when this epistle is read among you, calls that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Now, now here's what we know. That when Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians, he instructed that church, you save this letter and you take it over to Laodicea and you let them read it too. That church needs to hear what I've got to say. And he said, by the way, I've written a letter to Laodicea and they need to bring their letter over to you. You guys just exchange letters. And each of you read the other's letters. Now again, to me, this more confirms that Paul was probably the founder of both of these churches. That's just my opinion. But I just can't see Paul sticking his nose into somebody else's business. I think Paul had authority to write these letters. And I think that authority came because he was the apostle, he was the angel, he was the messenger to those cities who appointed men to fill that role when he moved to the next city. But he never lost that role of founder and apostle to that church. Is everybody with me? Now, let me just say this as well. Um, don't let it bother you that Colossians 4.16 mentions Paul wrote a, an epistle to Laodicea. There, you might notice there's not a book of Laodiceans in the New Testament. Don't let it bother you that there is reference here to a letter Paul wrote to a church that we don't have. Perhaps... The things covered in that letter were more specific to that congregation and the congregation at Colossae. Maybe there were situations going on there that were unique to them and Paul had to address them. 
Another possibility is everything that was covered in that letter is covered in one of the other letters somewhere. I don't know, but I do believe we have every letter God wants us to have. I don't believe there's some missing letter out there that when we get that, we're going to get some new revelation. I believe the Bible we have is complete as we have it. Is everybody with me? Praise God. All right. I've got just a little bit more here, and, and, then, and then we'll be ready to move on to the letter itself. But first, let me do as I've done with each of these, and let's talk about the name of this city. We've talked about the history. We've talked about the church. Let's talk about the name of this city. This, this name, Laodicea is a compound Greek word. You've heard me say that how many times? You know what that means. They took two Greek words and put them together. These two words mean people's rights or people's judgment. Or you could say the judgment of the people. Now, that doesn't mean judgment upon the people. It means the people exercising their own judgment. Now, now this is interesting. Let me show you something. You may, not have, you may have noticed this. I don't know. You may have caught this in your Bible reading. I don't want to just assume that you haven't. But I want to show you something that I find very, very interesting that I, I have never heard anybody comment on. Let's look at the opening verse of each of these letters. We're at the last one of the seven. So very quickly, I want to point something out with regard to the way the letter is addressed. All right? You got your Bibles? I want you to get them open. I want you to see this. We're going to start in Revelation chapter 2. Open your Bible to Revelation chapter 2. I'm watching the time closely. I'm going to do this fairly quickly. Revelation chapter 2. Let's look at verse 1. Let's see how the letter is addressed, to whom it is addressed. All right? Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Now read. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write. The church of Ephesus. All right, now wait, hang on. That's all we really need to see here in this verse. The church of Ephesus. Now that's the King James. Some of the original manuscripts say it this way. The church in Ephesus. Either way, it's the same basic meaning, all right? The church in Ephesus. Now let's go to chapter 2, verse 8. And unto the angel, the church in Smyrna. Okay, right. now, the church in Smyrna. The church in Smyrna. All right? Let's go to chapter 2, verse 12. And to the angel, the church in Pergamos. The right. church in Pergamos. Are we seeing a pattern here? Those who didn't answer, are you seeing a pattern here? Okay, all right. Just making sure everybody, because if you're not... Of course, I'm going to give you a few more chances to see it, but I would hope that by now you'd see it. So, all right, so uh, let's see, what was that? Verse 12, let's go to verse 18. 
And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira. The church in Thyatira. All right? The church in Thyatira. Now chapter 3, verse 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis. The church in Sardis. All right? Chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. The church in Philadelphia. Now... Let's look at chapter 3, verse 14. And unto the angel unto of the, the angel of the church of the, of the Laodiceans. To every other church, it was the church in this city. You're in this city. That's where I've put you. That's your field of labor. It's the church in Philadelphia, the church in Ephesus, the church in Smyrna, the church in Pergamos, the church in Thyatira, the church in Sardis. But with Laodicea, it's not the church in Laodicea. It's the church of or belonging to the Laodiceans. What a significant difference. Laodicea meaning the people's judgment. The people speak. The people rule. This is the people's church. Let me tell you something. Years ago, and some of you have heard about my uh, time spent in, um, well, if it wasn't Hades, it was the neighboring city. <laughs> Let me just tell you something. When I went there, one of the first things they asked me was, how do you feel about a mixed congregation? And I'm standing there thinking, mixed congregation? What do they mean by that? They don't want the men and women sitting together? I'm serious. I couldn't figure out what... I I stood there for a long time trying to think. What? And then... The light came on, and I said, oh, you mean allowing people of other races to come? Now, I tried to deal with it diplomatically. I said, let me just give you an example. At the time, I was pastoring in Colorado and had come down there to preach. I said, the church I'm pastoring right now, we just had a man come in and pray through and he is a black man. Now I said, let me tell you, in Colorado, it's, it's almost 50 miles, almost 50 miles to the nearest one God, Jesus name church from where I pastor. The nearest church of any kind. It's almost 50 miles. One way to get to another Jesus name church. 
Now this man comes in and wants to be saved. What am I supposed to do with him? And can I tell you one of the old men that had been, he may have been a founding member of that church. He spoke up and he said, well, let me tell you this. If you want to reach that, and he used the N-word, you go down the road to do it, but don't you bring him in my church. Now, it wasn't until later that his words, now obviously that You know, I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that I've got a long fuse, but it's a big explosion. But that night they cut the fuse really short. It upset me so bad. But, but part of what he said didn't dawn on me until later. It wasn't until later that those words came ringing back in my ears don't bring him to my church. And I'm telling you that in prayer, the Lord spoke to me and said, that's the problem with that church. It's their church. It's not mine. That's what's going on in Laodicea. It was the people's church, not God's church. It wasn't the church of God in Laodicea. It wasn't the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in Laodicea. It was the church of the Laodiceans. They ran things. They determined what was right and wrong. They made every decision. The people ran the church. They owned the church. They ruled the church. They controlled the church. Now listen, with these other churches, God rebuked them. God threatened them. God spoke some things to them. Even at one point identifying himself as having feet of brass, which typified he was walking through their midst in judgment. But to none of them did he say what he said to Laodicea. I want to spew you out of my mouth. You know what that means? I'll get into it more. I don't have time tonight. But literally, you can go look it up for yourself. Not trying to be crude. But literally, it means to vomit. God looked at the church of the Laodiceans and said to them, you make me sick. Well, that's mind-boggling. That's mind-boggling. This is the only one of the seven that the Lord used such harsh terminology. And yet, though it was their church and though they thought they were in control when God had a message for them he didn't send the letter to them he didn't say to the Laodiceans right 
But he said to the angel of the church, you may try to bypass authority, but God won't. God still works within the realm of constituted spiritual authority. That's the way God works. And even when the whole church rejected his rule, God didn't change the method of operation. God still said, you write this letter to the angel of the church. If they're going to hear anything from me at all, they're going to hear it through him. Oh, thank God for the church. Thank God we can be a part of a church where things are done right. Thank God we've got an opportunity to be in a place. And church, listen, I'm not saying this to try to build myself up. And, and I hope and pray that you know I take it seriously. I, I have wept before God. I have pled with God. God, don't ever let me be a Lord over God's heritage. Don't ever let me get to the place because it's just as dangerous for me to think it's my church as it is for you to think it's yours. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's his. I'm just here as an under shepherd. I've got to do it the way God wants it done I've got to hear from his mouth and speak what he's got to say I'm not here to promote my ideas and my opinions I'm here to feed the flock of God over which the Holy Ghost has made me an overseer God don't ever let me get to the place that I become a Lord over your heritage they're not mine you are the sheep of his pasture you're the sheep of his pasture. But thank God that we can come to a place. Church, I, I, could, I could be here all night telling you of the tragic, tragic incidents of things that took place and what it was like just to show up for church in a place like Laodicea where the people made all the rules. I'm talking about, and I'm not making this up, and I know this is going out over the internet, and that's fine. Because it's 100% accurate and 100% true. Now, I pray they got it under the blood. I pray it's taken care of, but it happened nonetheless. But we're talking about a church where there were two factions within the church that hated one another. They hated each other so much that one night one of the groups met and said, Tonight... We're going to go in and beat up the other side at church. And every man was assigned another man from the other side of the church that he was going to go beat up that night at church. And they made plans to do it. And they had one man assigned. Back then they had one light switch in the building. They had one man assigned to flip the light switch. And when the lights went out, it was free for all. Can you imagine going to church like that? And it really didn't change through the years. They, 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 I could tell you stories of them, of them holding a preacher down while they beat him. Of them threatening to, to commit a drive-by shooting of a man that had been pastor there for 11 years. And that's what happens when you get to Laodicea. That's what happens when things are not done in accordance with God's way of doing it oh hallelujah 
But thank God tonight. Thank God we can come in here and worship God. We don't have to look out of the corner of our eye and think, I wonder if somebody's planning something against me. I wonder if somebody's trying to hurt me. We, we, we can come to church and love one another and rejoice together and take our brother, our sister by the hand and, and, and run the aisles together. Thank God we've got a place that's more like Philadelphia than it is Laodicea. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to fight with every fiber of my being to make sure it never becomes Laodicea. We're not going down that road. We're not walking down that path. My eyes are on Philadelphia. That's what I'm striving for. That's what we're trying to become. All oh, is stand and love the Lord together tonight. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, let's love him. Let's love him. Let's love him. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, let's love him a little bit. Let's love him just a little bit here tonight. I know, I know, I know it's, it's time to go home. We're a little over time tonight, but can you take a few moments and just love God? Can you thank God for a church that you can be glad to be a part of. Can you thank God for brothers and sisters that are not trying to rise up and overthrow, but they're here because they love God and they love one another. Come on, can you take a few minutes and just thank God for the wonderful feeling of being a part of a family? Thank God for the true church. Thank God for the good saints that are here. Thank God for the people he's giving us. Thank God.